When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily One place, one point, one massive Premier League match this weekend. Manchester City versus Liverpool, the two top sides in English football for the last few years. And there's a bit of a sense of deja vu as title hopes and dreams may hinge on one 90-minute spell at the Etihad on Sunday afternoon. But are we reading a little bit too much into this? Will the title truly be decided between these two? Or are we overlooking the fact that there are still eight games to go in the Premier League season? There are crucial eight games for a team like Everton. Grim times at Goodison. Can they pick themselves up off the floor after Burnley's body blow midweek when they welcome Manchester United? Whilst the Clarets may be confident with their scrap against fellow strugglers Norwich City. Plus, if two tight ties weren't enough to whet your appetite, Arsenal will look to recover from midweek misery at Palace when they face Brighton, with Spurs looking to pile on the pressure in the race for fourth as they visit Aston Villa. Will that young Arsenal side be able to cope with the intensifying spotlight and can a sometimes flickering Tottenham take advantage? Lows to discuss on today's episode of The Dugout, the weekend preview show from Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall and on The Dugout, we're going to hear from former Southampton man Francis Benali and ex-Leicester and Brighton midfielder Dean Hammond. Hello gents, how have you been? Yeah, all good, thanks Now You're outnumbered today. You've got two former Saints <laughs> against one, so... Uh... <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Franny, I visited my parents last week and I've not been down to see them for a while. And I picked up some stuff that I haven't had a chance to move up to Manchester with me over the last few years. And there are a couple of framed Portsmouth shirts and I was hoping that I'd have time to nail them up to the wall before the show, but I ran out of time. So I think you might have just edged me on that one. Um, what about you, Dean? How's things? Very good. Very good, mate. Um, kids are on half term, so spending time with those, so, uh, which is always entertaining. Um, but no, I'm very well, thank you, mate. Very good. A bit of a 45 minute break from uh, daddy duties for you then to come and talk about footy. It is. It certainly <laughs> is. Just a little break from the trampoline at the moment, I think. So yeah, give my, my, my old legs a rest. <laughs> well, I tell you what, um, what a weekend of football to look forward to in the Premier League. The big game that everyone's been talking about for the last, I think, six weeks. Manchester City against Liverpool, half four on Sunday. It's the only place we can start on today's episode of The Dugout. And just as has looked like being the case, Franny, the Premier League title race for this season could boil down to this one singular game. Now, we should point out there's still going to be eight games left after this one or seven games for, for City and Liverpool as it is. But do you think whoever wins here will go on to win the Premier League? Well, I guess it's quite clear it's going to go a long way to the outcome, isn't it, Niall? It's, um, it, mm. I, I guess for all of us that aren't connected or have any connection with the club or a supporter of either of the teams... It's brilliant to watch on from a distance. Uh, I guess if you're involved in it, it's going to be pretty tense. It's going to be, you know, a, a very close game, I would imagine. Um, and one that really, as you're alluding to there, is, is going to, you know, probably, you're right, there is more games to play still and, and there could be another twist or turn, but this is going to be a huge 
factor in who will ultimately be Premier League t- uh, champions this season. What do you think the result might boil down to? Because we've spoken on this show before, Dean, about what Manchester City offer and Liverpool, what their qualities are. And these are two sides that have been really hard to split over the last three or four seasons. They've got two world-class managers, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. You know, all about those two gents. And also the players and the points difference between the two sides. I mean, you, you could only separate them by a point and there was a huge game between these two a few seasons ago where Manchester City won the title and Liverpool didn't manage to win the league on 97 points. Then the following season, Liverpool did finally get the job done. These two have been so, so close over the last few seasons. So what do you think this weekend's game might hinge on? Will it be a moment of quality or a mistake, perhaps? Well, there's there's so much quality in both teams. If you look at the individual players, there's world-class players. Collectively, they're, they're both brilliant teams. You've mentioned there the managers are, are fantastic. Um, the atmosphere will, will be brilliant. Um, so I think it will come down to a moment of quality. I think it will. One of those exceptional world-class players will come up with a moment, an inspirational moment to, to potentially... Um, win the game but I was looking at it and I think for either team to win the game they're going to have to be defensively really strong because both teams create opportunities and score goals and defensively are strong so I think if you look at it it may come down to the goalkeepers you know it may come down to either goalkeeper making consistent saves keeping a clean sheet and also the fullback positions both fullbacks for for both teams are so influential with, uh, for, for the teams they create opportunities so it would be I suppose whoever can create the most opportunities from from those wide areas and fullback positions, and whoever can defend um, the best. You know, you've got um, Alexander Arnold. His delivery is unbelievable. Gomez is playing at the moment, and he's shown him. You know, the last game was against Watford. Two deliveries, uh, one for the, for um, Jota's goal, um, and I think it was one for another opportunity as well. Robertson's a top class player, and then you've got Carl Walker, who's just a seasoned pro, who's brilliant. Um, and, and defensively strong and attacking-wise is very, very good. And then Cancelo has been brilliant all season. So I think those areas are not to be to be overlooked. Um, but I think if, if either team can keep a clean sheet, they'll win the game. The game's at the Etihad, Franny. How much of an advantage is that? You know, we're talking about two elite teams that are always looking for the tiniest of margins. How much of a benefit will it be that this game's at the Etihad rather than at Anfield? Well, if you look at history, I think... There's only been one victory for Liverpool in the Premier League away from home for them since 2012. So I don't want to be jinxing the, the outcome at all, but you know history shows that it's a, a, a difficult place for anybody to go to, and you know, and, and even with that record for Liverpool as well. So as Dino said, you know, the, the teams are going to have to be tight defensively with the attacking talent that both teams have and their attacking intent as a, a collective group and a team we know that the firepower is there for, for both sides. And, uh, you know, defensively, they'll have to be strong, as, as Dino said. But uh, these games, when they're so tight, it, it could be out of both teams' hand. It could even be a, an official's decision. Um, you know, it, you know, those margins are so fine in these kind of games. It's, it's a fascinating fixture and one that I'm sure every single football follower will have eyes on I won't ask you two boys to to choose a winner because I don't think that's fair I mean it's hard to see one way or the other I mean it's it's tossing a coin for me just just how good these two sides are but in a strange way people are writing off the draw Dean and if this game does end a draw which is highly possible it still keeps that title race going into the next few weeks and then it puts more pressure on those remaining seven games that we've already touched on 
Well, I think you're right now. If you look at the fixtures, I think if it did happen to end in a draw, Man City would be the happier. Obviously, because they're at their point, their point ahead, they're top of the league. But I think they do have favourable fixtures. Um, Liverpool have got a, a tough, tough um, running. Um, and it will be, if they could achieve this and they could win the league, um, it would be an unbelievable achievement because of the, the run they're on and the amount of games they've won already. To then win probably the last eight games or stay unbeaten until the end of the season would be um, a huge achievement. So there's always that opportunity for a draw. But I, I, you, you've said don't pick up. I fancy Liverpool. I, I just... I just think at the moment, I've watched them a few times, they're just a machine at the moment. They always find a way to win, and they're on a really good run. And I think against Man City, I covered the Southampton game against Man City in the FA Cup, and Southampton were really brave and impressed Man City and created opportunity from that. And if Liverpool can be that, can be brave, can press, can play with that high energy on the counter-stat, play with that pace, I think they can cause Man City some real problems. Um, but it will be a close game, and... Um, I'm sure there'll be a winner uh, and it won't be boring. It will be very, very exciting, I'm sure. There's also the added excitement, I guess, not just to this fixture, but in a week's time, they're going to be playing one another in the FA Cup semi-final as well. So if there's a winner in this game, does the other team win the, the Cup semi-final? Almost like to, to balance it out a little bit, but it could horrendously go wrong for either side if they're in a week's time losing two fixtures on the bounce. I can't see that, to be honest, but... It would be a, a fascinating dynamic come come a week's time. It might be even more exciting if both sides, as they are at the moment, got the advantage in the Champions League quarterfinals, that if they end up drawing each other in the semi-final, I'm not sure if they can, because I know the Champions League sometimes is seeded, and to be honest, I haven't looked at it too much in depth, but if they end up tying each other in the, in the semi-finals of the Champions League, we could have Premier League game, FA Cup game and then two Champions League semi-finals. But is that befitting in a way, Dean, for, for arguably two of the best teams in Europe over the last three or four years? Yeah, I think so. I think um, they will win the lot. Whoever wins, whatever, like Franny said, whoever wins the league, the FA Cup, the Champions League, I think Liverpool and Man City will win all the trophies this season. Um, I think they're, they're that good. Um, they're exceptional teams and um, they play in the right way as well, and they play a little bit different as well, which is great to see. They're not just, they won't cancel themselves out, I don't think, um, which is always exciting. Um, it's a good tactical battle between the two managers. There's a huge amount of respect, but I think these two are the best two teams in in Europe. And if you ask any neutral uh, fan, they're the two teams you really you watch. If they're live on on, on TV, you watch them. You sit down and watch them because they're exciting. They've got some. Um, amazing players but they're both very very good teams as well um, I think Man City don't get the credit um, for the amount of work and discipline that they work off the ball because we all congratulate them for the ability they have on the ball but they're, they're so well organised they work very very hard so um, I think they're, they're, they're the best two teams in Europe and it's great that they're playing each other it's just a shame that they're not playing each other in the finals of both the FA Cup final the Champions League final that could possibly happen like you say with the draw but I think that would be um, exceptional. It really would be, and something very historical. Obviously, these two sides geographically aren't that far apart, um, but they've really kind of 
born a rivalry out of the tussles they've had over the last few years. When you were coming to the end of your career, Franny, and when you were sort of in the beginning of yours, Dean, it was Arsenal against Manchester United, the two teams that were top teams in the country at the time. Do you get a similar vibe with these two teams, Franny, that that this rivalry that's kind of been brewing for the last few years might be one that lingers for years to come? And in 15 years, 20 years, people's kids, people's grandkids will be looking forward to these fixtures. I I, I guess we've, we've seen... Through through football and you know generations would have witnessed there there are those rivalries and there's eras where certain teams seem to don, dominate a, a period of time in football and we're we're seeing that shift a little bit again and it's 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 a real flip of a coin at this moment in time isn't it and for sure yeah there will be supporters and people talking about this rivalry and how close the the competition is to one another uh, between City and Liverpool for sure and. It's for the likes of the other teams like Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham and others to, to really try and break that because you've, you've got to say that you know at the moment City and, and, and Liverpool are the, the, the two top teams that everybody has got to try and beat because of the success and how strong and powerful they are as, as, as football clubs. Going into these sorts of games, what is the emotion? Is it nervousness? Is it excitement? I know because... Our two clubs, Franny, don't really play against each other that often, Pompey and Southampton. When the rivalry, the derby day comes around on the South Coast, the, the excitement just, just ramps up so many different notches. And I imagine, Dean, you've played in that fixture and you've played in other derby matches as well. So what what's the emotion? Were you a player, Dean, who got excited? Were you a player who maybe got a little bit nervy, but was it good nerves? Just talk us through maybe some of the emotions you would feel going into a game of this magnitude. I think you'd be lying if you didn't have both. I think there's definitely nerves, um, but there's definitely excitement. Um, I think the nervousness for me was always the build-up, maybe during the week um, before the game, Um, the the work you would do with the media, speaking to to fans, um, the work you would do on the training ground, maybe overthinking the game, thinking I don't want to make a mistake, but I want to try and, you know, um, be the hero. Everyone wants to be the hero. Score the winning goal. You kind of think about that as well. Um, but I was, like I say, during the build-up, I was more nervous then. When it came to the game, when you actually got to the game in the dressing room, um, you got out for the warm-up. You started feeling the atmosphere um, grow within within the stadium. Um, that used to inspire me, and I used to really enjoy that and, f- and thrive off that. That that's when I felt as though I I came alive. Um, and then mm. once you're the nerves will maybe a little return a little bit as you as you're standing in the tunnel and you can hear the noise um, and you're looking at the players around you, looking across, you're looking at your own players. Um, but as soon as you walk out into that grass and you hear the noise, I used to love that. You know, I used to really love that. I'm sure Franny was the same when the the noise from the, the fans and you'd stand there, you'd look up and see your family and you'd see the expression and the passion in the fans' face. It was game time then, uh, and I was more about staying under control then. I was staying on the pitch, I thought you were yeah, going to say, Dean. Trying, trying to stay in the control and th- trying to think, no, let's make a strong first tackle, but let's not get too excited um, and then try and play your way into the game. So it was more nervous for me in the build-up, thinking about maybe overthinking mistakes or anything like that. But once you're in the game and you're focused, I was, I was better then, personally. What about things like getting to the ground, Franny? Does that kind of ramp up the nerves 
a little bit because th- we've had some weird incidents between City and Liverpool where things have been thrown at team buses and there's been congregations trying to block the team from getting to the stadium and there's been smoke bombs and flares and all sorts of stuff. Obviously, you don't want to see buses getting attacked or anything like that, but does that does that change things? Even the, the morning of the game, what you eat, the journey to a game, those sorts of things. It, it, it can do if you're talking about something as extreme as that, you know, sort of... Uh... You know, demonstrations or buses and the welcome that a visiting team might receive. Um, I agree with Dino. You know, the butterflies certainly for me were were there before the game, and I think the players themselves they're of a caliber and of quality that they've got a lot of experience of big games already throughout their their careers. Even the young players, uh, they're at clubs that are huge football clubs, and that pressure of having to turn up and deliver is there on a week to week basis for them. So. I think there was going to be those those butterflies maybe to a degree, but speaking personally, I always felt that once the whistle blew and the game was underway, then you're almost like just clicked into business mode. It was like doing what you, you're you there to do um, uh, and, and playing to the best of your ability and, and, and putting out and putting into practice a game plan that you've worked on for potentially you know a week or so, but uh, maybe just a few days with, with all the fixtures they've had. But... Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be absolutely red hot in the stadium and um, I can't watch, wait to watch this one. No, absolutely. Well, what a game we've got in store in the Premier League. Sunday, 4.30 at the Etihad Stadium, Manchester City against Liverpool. Could whoever wins this, if there is a winner, go on to lift the Premier League title at the end of the season? Well, we'll wait and find out. And of course, we'll have a full rundown of that match on Sunday's edition of the podcast. So hit subscribe and you won't miss that. But that's not the only big game taking place in the top flight this weekend. Everton against Manchester United is a huge one for the Toffees at the bottom. We'll talk about that next after this. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Welcome back. This is The Dugout, your Premier League podcast featuring former top flight professionals. My name's Niall, Dean Hammond, once of Leicester, Southampton. And Brighton is joining me, as is Francis Benali, a legend on the South Coast at St. Mary's. Everton against Manchester United is what we're going to discuss next. It's the early kickoff on Saturday, 12.30, this one at Goodison Park. And Everton are in dire straits after that midweek loss to Burnley. They were 2-1 up and they ended up throwing it away 3-2. When a dressing room is dejected like that, Dean, just how hard is it to pick yourself up and dust yourself down and go again? Uh, look, there's no getting away from it. It is tough. It, it's really, really tough, it's, especially the magnitude that, that they're playing for, their survival in, in the Premier League. Um, the squad and the players that are playing at the moment are, are particularly young and don't have a lot of experience. Um, I was looking at the squad and the balance of the squad. The most of the experience of Everton, if you look at the, the lineup from from last night against Burnley, is on the bench. Um, and it's it's difficult. It, then it is down to the manager, uh, the manager um, saying the right things, um, whether that's him being truthful and um, saying some home truths or whether it's trying to keep that morale going and, and trying to breed some confidence within the team um, and, and looking at the positives. You look at the game last night, they've scored two goals. That's the first time they've done that for a long time. They've led the game. They've obviously lost it, which is a huge disappointment. Um, I think they are improving. They're still way below par and they're really struggling, but they're improving. If you look at the, the game against West Ham, there was some fight from them. If you look at the game the Burnley last night, there was some fight from them. 
Um, but I think they're they're in, they're in real problems. So it comes down to the manager, the coaching staff, um, the experienced players, um, and some real honest conversations. Now that that needs to be done in any dressing that you have that's successful um, or achieve something, you you need to have honest conversations, and they need to be received and accepted, and people's opinions need to be heard. Um, and like I say, home truths. As long as it is the truth and you're honest, I think that can that can really really help. Um, but it's tough at Everton because I just I look at the team. I watched the game last night. The balance is not there, and the players look nervous. Um, and you hear in the media of Frank, like Frank Lampard talking about confidence and trying to get him to believe and, and play the right way. It's difficult when you've, you're playing for a big club like Everton, and that can weigh heavy on them. Um, and I think it is at the moment because they've just probably realised that they are in a real, real difficult position. Well, let's just take a quick glance at the table. Burnley are in the bottom three. They're 18th, 29 games played. They're 24 points on the board. As for Everton, 17th, so just above the dotted line by virtue of one point. They have 25 and uh, they've both played the same amount of games. So certainly this one against Manchester United, huge on Saturday for Everton. If they're beaten by United, Burnley face Norwich. Um, on Sunday, which we'll come on to shortly, and they have a chance to leapfrog Everton and suck the Toffees into the relegation zone with only a few games left to play of the season. We'll talk about that in a bit more detail shortly, but I'm glad Dean picked up on the Everton squad, Franny, because some are now suggesting that what was their transfer policy all about in January? They brought in Deli Alley, who's not really had a great time of it in the last few seasons at Tottenham Hotspur, and has you know, moved on to pastures new to try and get things going and restart his career at Goodison Park wasn't really involved last night and, and hasn't really done anything since he's gone there. And conversely, similarly, Donny van der Beek, who's on loan there from Manchester United, couldn't get in the United team and can't really seem to make an impact at Everton. So are there question marks maybe over their, their January recruitment when they knew they could possibly have been in trouble, but they've not really done anything to alleviate that with the sign-ins, arguably? Well, given where they are, I think that's going to be a, a, a clear question and, and topic You've put the question to, to myself and Dean. It's it's clearly something that's going to be asked. Um, I, I think in the when you're in a, a position like Everton are now, I mean that, that that defeat against Burnley was a crushing blow for them. That's one victory now in the last seven Premier League games. Their their form at the moment is completely the wrong way where you want a team that end of the table to be going. Uh, the complete opposite for Burnley. That would have given them a massive injection of confidence now for their running. Uh, coming into these games, th- these are the sort of matches that, yes, you want to take three points, but if you can't win, don't lose. You know, you can't afford to come away with nothing. And your close rival, as Burnley are, you know, to, to close the gap in that manner, I would be really worried for Everton now. And you know, I've I've been in a dressing room as well where you, you know you, you wonder sometimes where the next next points coming from, let alone the next victory. And quite often, when you start looking in the eyes of your teammates and the people in and around you, it's, it, it often boils down to the personality and the characters of the individuals and everybody as a group. Uh, to whether you've got something about you to try and scrape your way out of it. Um, and quite often, that that was a strength of ours at Southampton in times when. Everybody outside the dressing room, outside the club, wrote us off, even before a ball was kicked sometimes before a season, then that bond and unity that we had, that almost like us against the world scenario, Spirit. yeah, was, was, was what got us through. And, and, when I, and I say that, including the supporters as well, because there was, 
you know, there's always very much a like it's us against them. Um, and and that's, that counts for a huge amount. And I can't see that. I don't see that at the moment with Everton. I, I mean, we don't know the players. I don't know the players personally. So, but I'd be intrigued to know how those characters now, are they, they starting to think, well, if we go down, am I going to be leaving? Are they having conversations with their agents? Almost trying to almost line up a, a potential move if they go down. There's all these scenarios rather than maybe focusing on fighting and scrapping and getting the points they need to survive to stay up. I said this on the podcast earlier this week, even the body language in the Burnley players when they scored in comparison to the Everton players when they won a penalty or, or they scored from those penalties, it was almost chalk and cheese, you know, in the way that the two sides celebrated. And I'm I'm keen to t- kind of pick up on that spirit that you touched upon there, Franny. Is that something that you can see similarly with Burnley for example they're a side who often get written off before the season they don't have stellar names they don't have a, a, a top draw in terms of their manager he's just kind of a, a very sort of consistent solid top flight manager who's got experience in a, in a relegation battle yeah most definitely I mean that, that that's what they've they've had to show for season on season now for a long time you know for the, all those reasons that you're saying that you know they haven't got the budgets of other clubs. Um, they may not have, shall you say, the, the the star names that that other teams have. But what they have in abundance with their players, their manager, is that togetherness, that spirit, that camaraderie. Call it what you like, and it's there in 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 abundance. And 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 that victory against Everton in the week will just reignite that again to another level and give them the confidence and belief that they can pick up the results that they need to, to, to stay up now. It's almost like chalk and cheese now. That, that victory was a massive factor. We spoke about City and Liverpool and how the, that's going to be an outcome in the, the title race. That game in the week for those two teams could be a huge factor in, in, in who ultimately goes down. Do you think then, with that in mind, Dean, Burnley are now favourites to stay up ahead of Everton just purely because of A, the fixture list, and B, the mood in the camps? Well, I can only imagine what the, what the training ground would have been like at Burnley this morning. It would have been a completely different atmosphere. Um, you'd wake up this morning as a player looking forward to going in um, and speaking about the game, analysing the game with, with that motivation for the rest of the season. But one advantage, I think, well, advantages that Burnley do have They've been in the situation before. They've got a manager who's been in the situation before, who's achieved promotions and achieved, achieved relegations. Um, there's, like Franny said, there's a spirit within that group and players that have been in this situation before. But also, no, they're not afraid to go down Burnley. They're not. It's not a fear for them. You know, they don't want to, but they're not scared to go down because they know that they've, they've it's happened to them before and they've bounced straight back. If you're those Everton players, you've not been in this situation before. You've got a manager who's had a brilliant playing career. One of my heroes, fantastic player, has done okay as a manager, but he's not been in these situations before. He's not worked with these type of players before that are not winners, that are not fighting for trophies. There is a you're winning games of football, but there is a different mentality. You know, the top players they expect to win, and if they don't win, they win the next game. When you're down low and your confidence is low, it's very very difficult and. I'm sure Frank will be a brilliant manager and this will be good for him. But has he got the tools at the moment to get Everton out of it? I'm not sure. Has Sean Dyche? I think he has. So you would say at the moment, because of that victory last night, um, they've got the advantage now and they're in the ascendancy. And as well, their next fixture is Norwich. You imagine they've got back-to-back victories, what that will do to, to Burnley. And Everton are playing Manchester United, which is a difficult fixture. Yeah, it's a, it's a, 
it's a hard situation for Everton at the moment. It really is. And and, and have Everton got the goals in the team to to fire them to the points to stay up? Richarlison and uh, Townsend are the two joint top goal scorers with seven goals apiece. I mean, it's nowhere near what you need. Even if you've just got one player scoring 15-20, it gives you a chance. Yeah, and Townsend's out for the season and Calvert-Lewin hasn't scored since he came back from injury. So, you know, in terms of the goals that they've got or they've not got, that could be the difference. Well, no, like one thing I see, and like I don't know the, the Everton players personally. You know, I've, I've worked with Calvert-Lewin when I was at Sheffield United, but he was a young lad, so it's hard to speak about him. But what I see potentially within that Everton group is, is a few players that believe they're probably too good for Everton. And it doesn't really matter to them if they go down or not because they believe that they are Premier League players and they will get a move. And that can be a difficult situation because it doesn't quite mean as much. Now, that sounds like I'm judging players, but I'm, that's only what I see from, from the outside. They're not trying potential running quite as much as they were. And that's, that's the difference to me. We can all miss chances, but when you're not quite putting in the same effort, I think that's a, that's a sign. I think you're right, though, because I think that is encapsulated in what we saw from Burnley. You know, you've got an unfashionable club with players who probably aren't sure if they'll play in the Premier League again. And thus, you know, they want to give it as great a chance as they can to stay in the division and, and, you know, hold on to that dream that a lot of those players will have. I think it's interesting to discuss managers. I totally side with you, Dean, about Frank Lampard in being a player that I watched a lot growing up and really admire. Um, Yet he doesn't have that experience at the sort of wrong end of the table, so to speak, in terms of relegation battles. But I was keen to get either of your thoughts on the impact of a new manager coming in. So we knew that Benitez, in in terms of his Everton role, was always going to be a difficult one. It was always going to be combustible. He ended up losing his job. Lampard comes in. And we discussed this earlier this week that Everton never really had that fabled new manager bounce under Frank Lampard. They won their first game, which was an FA Cup match against Brentford. And then the next match, they went and lost to Newcastle, who were a relegation candidate at the time. So immediately that feel-good factor was sucked out of Everton with that first couple of games. So are there any examples of managers who have come in um, during your time at Southampton, maybe Franny, who have made a huge impact on the team and the club that you can recall? Yeah, I I guess there's... When, when you're a player in a dressing room and, and you have that change of manager, I think there's, it depends maybe to a degree what situation you're in. If you're a regular starter and you're playing a lot under the previous manager, there might be an element of anticipation, or not anticipation, but uncertainty, whether you're going to figure in the new manager's plans. If you're a player on the fringes a little bit and you're not playing much, you'd see it as an opportunity to impress the new manager coming in. So... Those sort of dynamics, it, it, it depends with the player's situation themselves. But um, yeah, for sure, you know, there, there can definitely be a, a, an impact with a, a new manager, new ideas, new coaches and staff around them coming in and, and, and giving you that lift. But as you say, it's been tough for, for Frank. Um, you know, I, I, I've got a huge amount of respect for him like we all do. And, and I think he'll be a very good manager. But he's, he's in a scenario at the moment where it's, it's not... You know, it's different to playing at the top end of the table and, and pushing for trophies and winning titles and winning silverware. That, that That's a different kind of pressure. Fighting relegation is, is something completely different. And, and I'll come back to this thing about personality and character. I don't believe Frank has got that in, in spades, for sure. He's got bucket loads of it. Um, but I question whether one or two of his players and enough of them have it to get Everton out of the position they're in at the moment. 
What about you, Dean? Were there any examples of, in particular, managers that have come in either with a team in trouble or just in general a change of leadership at the top that have galvanised a group that you were a part of or indeed had a, a an impact on you personally? To, to be honest, no, not not massively. All I can say is when, when I was at Southampton and Alan Pardew um, uh, left the club, um, we was in League One at the time, um, and we had probably four or five weeks without a manager. Dean Wilkins and uh, Martin Hunter took over, and we didn't. We, we had some poor results. Um, and Nigel Atkins came in, um, and this is what I was talking about, the Everton players. We had a group of players at Southampton that were desperate to be at the football club because we knew where it was heading, uh, the ambition of the football club and, and what was trying to be achieved. So I, from a personal point of view, I, I was desperate to stay at the club, to, to show the new manager that I wanted to be part of it, to prove myself that I was good enough. And we that's when you do get the bounce because the group of players that we, we had, we knew we had to win games. We knew we weren't performing well enough. And Nigel came in and just had that different change of, of attitude, really. Um, the players were more inclusive in things. We were included in, in team meetings. There was a clear style of play, the way he wanted us to play. Now, that didn't happen res- results straight away. But all I, can, all I can say is within the group, we felt it. We felt a change. We felt as though the, the atmosphere was changing. And we felt as though we could really go and win games and achieve something. So I would say Nigel came in and made a, made a difference. Even from the outside, you might not have seen it. Because I think we lost our first game, probably drew the next two or three. But then we went on a fantastic run. But as players, you felt it. But it was because as, as a group, we were desperate to play for Southampton. And desperate to be part of what was going to be achieved. And I just don't quite see that at Everton. That, that was my point of the, the current players there. Well, speaking of managers, Everton's opponents at Goodison Park, Manchester United, and they have allegedly made contact with the Ajax manager, Eric Tenag, reports suggesting that United are close to finalising a deal to bring the Dutchman to the club. Would that be a good choice? I know we don't know a great deal about Eric Tenag. I'm sure we don't all take in the Eredivisie on a regular basis, but um, but certainly a lot of people are talking him up as someone who, who has the potential to be a good candidate for the role at Old Trafford. Or does it really matter, Franny, for you, unless other things change at Old Trafford, perhaps? I think it's part of the jigsaw. Um, quite clearly, you know, United have gone through a number of managers in recent years uh, without success on the pitch. Um, and I think it's deeper rooted the, the problems in that. Yes, uh, a new manager coming in with, with good ideas and a, a, a philosophy and a style can, can have a change and an impact to a degree. But I, I genuinely believe there's, you need, Dean's touching on you know, his time at Southampton. You know, I think there was a, a culture at the club uh, and you know, there was a togetherness. And uh, you know, I, I think from the outside looking in, it seems like Manchester United seem to They've, they've got a, a, a jigsaw that is just in pieces at the moment and they've got to start putting it all together in the right way and um, make sure they've got all the pieces to, to complete the picture. And uh, the manager will be part of that, but I think there's other things behind the scenes that, that probably need to fall into place to, to see a, a, a turnaround for United on and off the pitch. Manchester United on the road at lowly Everton. The Toffees desperately in need of the points. Manchester United way back in seventh and that... 
fourth place spot looks a long way away. They'll need to try and win pretty much every single one of their remaining games if they are going to pinch fourth off of what is likely to be one of Arsenal or Tottenham. We'll talk about those two teams very, very shortly. But Everton United, half 12 Saturday and Norwich versus Burnley is a Sunday two o'clock start. So the top four, the race is on. Arsenal versus Brighton, Villa versus Tottenham. We'll talk about those two games next after this. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Welcome back to the final part of this week's edition of The Dugout, the Premier League show with former top flight professional players Dean Hammond, Francis Benali are joining me, Niall McCorn, on today's show. And Arsenal versus Brighton, Aston Villa versus Tottenham is the offering in the race for the top four, which is hotting up very, very nicely indeed, particularly considering Arsenal lost to Crystal Palace last Monday night, a convincing defeat as well. Three goals to nil it was at Selhurst Park to the Eagles. And that's allowed Tottenham a sniff. They're believing again that they can finish fourth. You talked about the Everton side earlier on in the show, Dean, and about maybe the lack of experience in the camp to try and see them through a turbulent spell. This is quite a young Gunners side, but it seems to have worked so far for Mikel Arteta. The young players have really performed well, but this is a a kind of pressure that maybe they haven't been exposed to yet. I guess the question is, can they hack it? Well, there's an expectation now, now, which they've probably not had most of the season um, because they've put themselves in such a brilliant position. And I think they've... They've been fantastic. They've probably overachieved from how the season started for them. Um, and they play a good style of football now. It's exciting to watch. Yes, they had the disappointment against Crystal Palace where they were well beaten. Um, but they've got some fantastic younger players. But I'd su- probably suggest the only issue you have with Arsenal, that it seems as though they have to play really well to win. Um, they're not, they've not found a way of being able to perform and hang in games to potentially win a game. Um, or go to a difficult place like Crystal Palace or a team are going to be physical, you're going to have to defend a lot. Um, they're very, very fit. Um, and it was a different style for, for Arsenal. So it's good for the younger players in terms of their learning experience and their development because I think this Arsenal team or the club are getting things right now. We just spoke about Manchester United, but I think Arsenal are a club now that are moving in the right direction. It's going to take a bit more time, um, but I think they've got these younger players are getting such valuable experience um, at the moment, they've recruited well. Um, but yeah, there's an expectation that they've probably not experienced yet. So it will come down to the, the more experienced players of just allowing those youngsters to just go and play. Forget about the pressure. That's how they've got themselves in this position, by going to express themselves and going to play and try and win every game. And if they can continue that and be um, able and allowed to do that, I think they'll they'll push Tottenham all the, all the way. Um, and it'll be an exciting finish for, for fourth place. It really, really well. So... I think it's good for their development, but there's a different mentality now because there's an expectation from, from the, the Arsenal crowd. In the tricky moments, Dean, when you're a young player, how much are you looking to those experienced heads to try and guide you through? Because, you know, they're up against one of your old teams, Brighton. And I think I'm right in remembering you said that when you were coming through at Brighton, you were sort of in the team at a young age and you were captain at an equally young age. So you kind of had to, to learn on the job, I suppose. When you're in that situation, like this young Arsenal group are now, how much are they looking towards those experienced heads to try and guide them through the difficult patches? I think it's really important, Noel. And I think it's just as an experienced player, it's just um, encouraging and allowing those younger players to still go and play and not feel the pressure. Um, and being there for them for, for com- just a conversation. 
sometimes. You know, if you see a younger player that their form's dropped a little bit or they're trying to do things that they weren't doing because they're feeling that expectation, just being there for them during training, the build-ups to games, during games, just speaking to them. I think communication's really, really important as an, an experienced player for, for the for the younger players. And I think as I went through my career, that's what I tried to do. I think one of my strengths was helping players going to express themselves, uh, and making them feel good about themselves and confident. And I think you have to do that as an experienced player um, sometimes, especially when it looks like the younger players are, are good are good players and good people. You know, they're not, they don't look like arrogant players that are walking around. They're working very, very hard. Um, they look like they want to be at Arsenal. Um, so I think it's just encouraging them and allowing them to be who they are um, and go and play the game because they've been very, very good. They really have. I'm curious to get your take on that conversation, Franny, seeing as you made your debut uh, in the first team as a teenager and your position's quite unique because you stayed at one club um, throughout your entire career, especially in the top flight. So you've seen both sides of it. So what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, I think you need... I think a lot of successful sides have that that great blend of the young players, the youth, uh, the new generation coming through and some wiser, uh, older, wiser heads that have been there and seen it and done it and can you know know what the, the the game is all about and pass that advice on to the younger players, as Dino said. And and that's you know I think the that that character of senior pros, you can, you're either one of those sort of players. I think that. As Dino just touched on, he was a player, and I I had no problem doing it either. Was to to almost encourage and share your knowledge and experience with the younger players to help them and ultimately help you as a group. Uh, and and there's other ones that almost just keep themselves to themselves and aren't that open or sharing with their with their knowledge and experience to help the younger ones. It's it's, it's those different sort of personalities, I think. But yeah, I I had it coming in as a a young player with. A lot of other young players breaking through in the team at the time, and we had a manager in Chris Nickel at the time who wasn't afraid to throw the youngsters in. You know, and, and I'm not just talking like one or two. He would throw four, five, or six players into a, a game with maybe three or four senior heads in the team, and and it, it was those players that sort of helped us out in those sort of scenarios. Players like Jimmy Case, Russell Osman, players like that that um, you know had been there and done it in the game at the highest level, and uh, and we're, we're willing to sort of help us out, not just off the pitch, but on it in the middle of games as well, just with those little shouts and maybe just a, a little reminder of where you need to be stood and things like that. So, yeah, it can be a, a, a massive benefit to a young player coming in. But I think also the youth and almost like fearlessness of a young player coming in, almost just wanting to take on the world and just play football with a, and an energy and enthusiasm is a brilliant thing as well when it's not got that experience behind it as well. It's... And it's that's get hitting that sweet spot, I think, isn't it? You know, in between having the the youth and exuberance and the the experience, and you know, still being able to run around to a degree, which is which is, I guess, extending now probably beyond my career because we're seeing players playing well into their thirties now. Was there ever a moment where you thought, "Oh my God, I'm the, I'm the old one now," and you're looking around <laughs> and all the young lads running around? I mean, I see this now when. You know, I'm, I'm doing a game for work and, you know, you're preparing your commentary notes or whatever and you see someone, someone's born in 2003, 2004 and you think, oh, where are those years going? Was there a moment that you can pinpoint for anywhere you thought, oh, my, now I'm the experienced one here? Yeah, uh, you know, I can look back and, I mean, I was, I was club captain for many years and, uh, you know, that sort of had more, maybe more of a role off the pitch. But, uh, you know, quite clearly you need to, 
to be part of a group and 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 lead even if, even if you're not the captain and wearing the armband. Um, that there was definitely a, a point where I, I think I looked around the dressing room and realised that I'm now no longer that youngster that is looking up to the senior pros to be a voice in the dressing room, out on the pitch, on the training ground, and and I think it was it was great at Southampton at the time because there was a number of us I think that were in a similar sort of scenario and a similar sort of age group, and I think individually but also collectively there was a number of us that thought it's now our time to step up and be more of a voice within the dressing room. Uh, and, and I think that helped that, that transition a little bit from going from being that quiet youngster, a little bit shy and respectful to, to then being more of a, a voice on and off the pitch. How about you, Dean? When did you look around the changing room and thought, I'm the only one here with black boots and I'm the only one that's still using deep heat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still polishing my boots. Um, do you know, well, it happened quite early for me now because when I was at when I was at Brighton, I was captain at 21, 22, um, because we had a lot of youngsters. The club was obviously in a, near administration financially was struggling, so it was a very very young team. So I had to take responsibility pretty early, um, and it was difficult at times because I didn't have the experience, and I was you mentioned I was learning on on the job, and but I liked that responsibility um, when when I was captain. I. I thrived off that extra responsibility. I must admit, I may, I may not have known it at the time, but I think it, it definitely helped my my performance individually. Um, and I carried that from the moment. You know, I went to, I got moved to Colchester. I was captain there within six months. And again, I was I was a young captain. There was more experienced players um, than me. Um, and I think just Fran is touching. And when you're captain, you, the responsibility is, is leading by example with your performances, but being a voice as well. You you need to be a voice and. That wasn't natural for me, I must admit, and and that came with with experience and pushing my own personal boundaries. You know, feeling as though I've got something to say and and not not saying it, actually saying it, and then getting a good response or is it accepted and received quite well. So you do learn from experience. So I had it quite young, and but I enjoyed it. I secretly enjoyed that that pressure. I think it made me a better player. We sometimes see it in other sports guys, don't we? That you know, I don't know about you, Dino. If you ever saw a, a player that maybe got promoted to being skipper and captain that it was almost maybe not too much responsibility but all of a sudden their game changed a little bit because they had that had that responsibility of you know leading the team in that sense and some players it doesn't always sort of work out for does it no it doesn't but one thing player it has helped that we know very well Franny is James Will Prowse I think since he's been captain for the last two years I think he's improved so much so so much so I think you're right, but it can be too much for people and it can weigh heavy on them, but um, I think it can also inspire others. It really can. Do you know what? I've been quite lenient with the Southampton chat today, but when you whipped out James Ward-Prowse, I thought, right, that's it. That's enough. We're moving on. We're moving on. Uh, We need to talk about Tottenham and it's interesting about how that analysis of Arsenal's young team versus more experienced heads in the Tottenham side might actually uh, play out between now and the end of the season. Obviously, Franny, um, Arsenal slipped up against Palace. Tottenham are still uh, on the back foot in terms of the race for the top four. But they have to sniff out this opportunity now, don't they? They have to smell blood. And I'm sure Antonio Conte will be galvanising those Spurs players and saying, come on, imagine if we get fourth at the expense of Arsenal. That would be massive for the club and for the fans. Yeah, it's uh, again, certain players and maybe certain managers would say they don't look at league tables and pay too much attention to it. And they're just quite clearly focusing on the next game that's that's ahead of them. But uh, yeah, I, I, I can speak personally that, 
you know, I was always looking at tables and other teams like slipping up and where they might go wrong and fixtures that they've got to play and things like that. So, yeah, it, it's an opportunity and it's going to be a close run thing. You know, we've got so many dynamics within the Premier League. We've got that battle at the top, teams fighting relegation down near the bottom, but also that, that race for a Champions League spot. And, and this is going to be a fascinating one. Spurs have got to capitalise at the moment and it's, um, it's not going to be an easy game. You know, Villa are on the the back of visited three defeats in a row. So Villa will want to bounce back and perform well. Uh, so yeah, this, you know, being at Villa Park as well, it's, it's, it's not an easy game for Tottenham this one, but you know, they've, they've, they've got the capability of doing it and it's going to be a fascinating matchup. You know, who's going to seal that fourth place. Yeah. Tottenham on the road at Villa, uh, Arsenal hosting Brighton, your old club, Dean, who's in pole position for you? Is it still the Gunners? No, I think Tottenham now. Well, it's in Tottenham's hands, isn't it? They've got a better goal difference and they've still got to play Arsenal. So if yeah. they can win all their games, they'll, they'll finish fourth. So it's in Tottenham. Uh, I think now. one of Arsenal's games in hand is against Chelsea as well, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that adds another dimension. They've still got Chelsea, Man United, West Ham to, to, to play. Um, obviously, Spurs is, is a big game. So I think they've both got some difficult fixtures. But Conte is a, is a winner and he's got experience. Um, and I think he, he smells blood now and he smells an opportunity to to achieve something where if you look back six, seven weeks where he gave that interview where I think it was after the defeat to Burnley maybe or the loss, uh, the draw to Burnley where he was saying Look, I'm not having an effect on the squad I'm not earning my money it's been a complete change and Franny's touching for I think he's changed the culture of the club but he's been given time um, and the players one thing that Tottenham do look now um, they look fit and they can run and that makes a huge difference in, in top top level football so I fancy Tottenham to, to get fourth now, which is it's unfortunate for Arsenal because I think they've been brilliant because they were criticised heavily at the start of the season. They've reacted really, really well. And I think they're moving in the right direction. But I think Tottenham will just, just pip Arsenal to the post. But that will be a brilliant game. I think it's what, it's the third game towards the end of the season. Um, Arsenal-Tottenham or Tottenham-Arsenal, not sure what where it's at. But an evening game as well, that will be a fantastic fixture. Yeah, Arsenal against Brighton, Aston Villa versus Tottenham this weekend, two big games in the context of the top four. And let's have a quick scan down the Premier League table before we finish today's show because it is looking exciting. Manchester City lead the way, 73 points, top of the pile. Liverpool right behind them, one point back, one place back, second with 72 points. Then Chelsea and Spurs complete the top four. Tottenham currently on 30 games, but they're on 54 points, level on points with Arsenal who have played one game less um, but there's still a North London derby to play and of course Arsenal versus Chelsea West Ham Manchester United and Wolves complete the top eight whereas at the bottom of the table Newcastle are in 15th and it's Leeds 16th just above the drop zone Everton 25 points 29 games played 17th and below the dotted line Burnley Watford and Norwich City so it's shaping up to be a really exciting end of the Premier League season Francis Benali Dean Hammond thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of the podcast I feel like I need to go and have a shower now after all of that Southampton <laughs> talk but don't forget if you hit subscribe on the podcast that way you won't miss another episode of the show again we'll have another edition of the dugout uh, next week as well as brand new shows every single day uh, of the rest of the Premier League season and it's going to be an exciting one so you don't want to miss it so as I say to keep right up to date in podcast form hit subscribe but for today that's it thanks to Francis thanks to Dean and we'll catch you again next time The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily